kids awesome this morning? Yeah, they were great. Well, it's a privilege to be the children's pastor here and also, um, you know, work with the mission team as well. And uh, we have seen, Pastor Daniel shared this last Wednesday night, over 20 kids have come to faith in the gospel in the last year in our children's wing. So, yeah, we praise the Lord. So we've been seeing a lot of baptisms, and we are just super grateful for all the Lord is doing. I want to thank all the volunteers and people who help out in the nursery, and and of course, uh, you know, my Kids Connection group that come each week. We have volunteers that come and, and help with the students and pray with the kids, and when I'm gone, they, they teach the kids, and so I'm super grateful. And of course, Gabby um, does a great job with the music and the games, and she's good at teaching as well with the kids. And so grateful for everybody that helps in the children's wing. Thank you. Appreciate that. So um, thank you. And it's an honor. It's a privilege. I, I was looking at the calendar, and uh, it's been exactly five years ago uh, yesterday that my family came to St. Louis. And so we're thrilled to be here in this area. And um, to be a part of what God is doing here at Canaan. And it's a really special Sunday morning for a lot of reasons, but also with us today, all the way from West Africa, we have a missionary that we help to support that's doing work with Bethlehem Christian Academy with another organization called Ministry of Harvest. He's a church planter. He's very apostolic. And this is his first time in the United States. His name is Basaru Ba. Bas, why don't you stand up real quick so we can recognize you? And we're super grateful. He's going to be in the United States for about three weeks. Uh, Next week, he's actually speaking at South County Baptist Church, but he'll be making the rounds, and hopefully you get to meet Boss and thank him for his hard work and his dedication. When Paul wrote the Macedonian Church of Philippi, he said about Epaphroditus, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. Boss works in a place that's 99.5% Muslim. He's in a place where it is very difficult to go out and share the good news of the gospel. He risks his life to do that. In fact, when he was converted to the gospel, it nearly cost him his life. He was beat up and beaten and spent a lot of time in the hospital. So we want to honor men like Boss Bob, who are doing the work of evangelism in hard-to-reach places. So I praise God for that. Listen, last night I did something that I've never done in 20 years of ministry, Um, I wadded up my sermon and threw it in the trash. So, (laughs) I hear the pastors really laughing loud. Um, I hadn't done that before. It just didn't feel like I was headed in the right direction. And so, I kind of started over. So, you might feel a little bit like Columbus today. You know, when he set out, he didn't know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was at. When he got back, he didn't know where he'd been. So you guys may have the same problem this morning. So a lot of big things going on, a lot of amazing things. Yesterday for the Winslow family personally, we graduated our first high school student. Noah is 18 and he graduated yesterday. And as a parent, it being, you know, Children's Sunday, you ask yourself the question, and and I've been for the last couple weeks really thinking, man, did we... Did we do it right? You know, that first kid is kind of the guinea pig, right, of the family. I haven't asked him if he thinks we did it right. But you start weighing, how did you treat the kids? And 
What, what, did we make the right decisions? Did we raise him in the right way? And is his faith his own? Is it genuine? Does he own it? And as time comes uh, rushing at him, and now I told him, you know, uh, after you get out of high school, time really starts to blow by. And we looked yesterday, a lot of defining moments in his life. There's going to be certainly some really difficult times to come in life. And when he is weighed, what will be found of his life? Today we're in Daniel chapter 5 and we're going to continue the series on Daniel. And I want you to turn to Daniel 5. And it is a super weird section of scripture. How many of you have heard the phrase, the writings on the wall? Yeah. When you hear that phrase and somebody says that, are they talking about something positive that's going to happen or negative? It's negative, right? Well, the writing's on the wall here, right? Cardinals are down by five in the last inning. The writing's on the wall, right? It means something bad is getting ready to happen. Well, that phrase originated actually in the text of Scripture that we're going to read today in Daniel 5. It indicates that something is about to happen that is a horrible thing. And the king of Babylon, not Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's gone, he's dead. 23 years have passed since chapter 4. But instead, the new king of Babylon, Belshazzar, is going to be weighed by God and found wanting. Now, how many of you are in a place in your life right now where in the morning when you get up and you're getting ready to take the shower, right, you're happy to jump on the scale? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you. you feel, I saw a hand go up really quick. The diet's going well, right? Well, when I get up in the morning right now, just to be honest with you, I don't like that scale. In fact, I haven't been on it in a while. And here's why. I know that scale, when I get on it, is going to condemn me. I'm going to see that I've not been faithful, right? Now, some of you, you're working out and you're running and you like to see what happens on that scale, right? And you get on there in the morning, you're all excited and that scale begins to go down because you can also see that the decisions that you're making as you jump on the scale are affecting your weight. They're changing things for you in a positive light. Well, today we're gonna see the scales of justice come out for a king named Belshazzar and he's not going to like the result. You know, when we think about things spiritually, though, people fall into the trap. It doesn't matter what world religion it is in the world, what cult it is in the world, what sect or even the occult, but here's what people try to do. It's like the natural default of man. They try to scale out their good from their bad, and if they believe that a God exists, maybe just in general, and that they might appear before him one day, they're hopeful that on the scales of God's justice, that good is going to outweigh the bad. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? I'm just going to try to live a good life. And I mean, as long as Hitler's still in the books, I'm doing pretty good, right? They try to weigh out the good from the bad, and hopefully that good outweighs the bad. And they think, well, if that happens and I appear before God, he's going to say, well, you gave it your best shot. Come on in. Heaven's right over here. But spiritually, when we look at the scales and God takes into account our good and bad, that's not at all how things work. False religion is anything that tells you that if your good outweighs your bad, you're going to be in heaven. Again, it's the default of man. In fact, you can look all the way back in history. I was looking at the Egyptians yesterday 
And in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and you can see these reliefs, these, these paintings that they did on walls, these inscriptions and hieroglyph. And in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, it says, the dead person's heart in the afterlife is taken out and put on the scales of justice before the goddess Mat. And if the good outweighs the bad, then they're going to be okay with God. Christianity is much different than all the other world religions in that it says this. And let me be upfront about this before we get into Daniel 5 and then we're going to circle back around to it. Is that your good can never outweigh your bad. In fact, if you've done one bad thing, it just doesn't seem fair, does it? The Bible tells us this, you're guilty of all bad things. The book of James tells us that. If you stumble in one point of the law, guess what? You're guilty of all. And here's why. Here's what's different about the God of the Bible than all other world religions is that he is holy, he is completely just, he is completely merciful, but he is holy and he is perfect and he expects the same thing out of his creation. So we're all in big trouble. So everyone that gets on that scale is doomed to fail. But God has made a way. Now, let me illustrate it for you. I, I think we've got a picture. There's a, there's a picture here of a guy in the Colosseum. Yeah, that guy's standing up right there. This is a, this is a picture of a guy named Ignatius. It's a painting uh, that was done. And if you ever thought somebody was going to make it to heaven, it might have been Ignatius. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 2, there's a story where Jesus takes a, a little boy and he sits him on his lap. You've heard the story. And he says, you know, he says, if... If, if anyone is to make it into my kingdom, he must come like this little child if he's going to inherit the kingdom of God. He's got to be, he's got to have faith like this little child. And, and there's a long, you know, historical tradition that tells us that the child that sat in his lap that day was Ignatius. And Ignatius would lead a holy life and he would become a church leader. And Ignatius did incredible things for the kingdom of God. In fact, he was told to recant of his Christianity, of his belief in Jesus. And if he didn't, he'd be thrown into the Colosseum by Trajan, an emperor. And here's the picture. I mean, not the real one, but it's a painting, right? And what happened is that that lion came out and it ate Ignatius. He did everything right. But Ignatius is in heaven today, not because of anything he did, not from sitting on Jesus' lap and living that holy life, believing in the resurrection and, 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 and going to the death in the Colosseum. He's not in heaven today because of that. He's in heaven today because of his trust in one who stood on the scale in his place and was perfect. He's in heaven today because of Jesus. Our story this morning is a story of what happens when a proud heart stands against God. Every kingdom has a sunset except God's kingdom. It's the only one that lasts forever. And those, listen carefully because there could be some of you here today, those who are determined to harden their hearts against the one true God will be humbled and judged. Because the scriptures tell us this, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs chapter 16, verse five says, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. 
So we're going to look at four parts to Daniel today. Wickedness, a warning, wisdom, and the last one, wipeout. So let's look at Daniel, the fifth chapter, and I'm going to read the whole thing. So if you want to and you're able, go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read Daniel chapter 5 this morning. King Belshazzar held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. Under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the kings and his nobles, wives, and concubines could drink from them. So they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, wives, and concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. At that moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. And as the king watched the hand that was writing, his face turned pale. And his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself. And his knees knocked together. The king shouted to bring in the mediums, Chaldeans and diviners. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this inscription and gives me its interpretation will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around his neck and have the third highest position in the kingdom. So all the king's wise men came in, but none could read the inscription or make its interpretation known to him. Then King Belshazzar became even more terrified. His face turned pale and his nobles were bewildered. Because of the outcry of the king and his nobles, the queen came to the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't let your thoughts terrify you or your face be pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the day of your predecessor, he was found to have insight, intelligence, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. Your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners. Your own predecessor, the king, did this because Daniel, the one the king named Belteshazzar, was found to have an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, intelligence, and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. Therefore, summon Daniel, and he'll give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought before the king. The king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the Judean exiles that my predecessor, the king, brought from Judah? I've heard that you have a spirit of the gods in you, and that insight, intelligence, and extraordinary wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and the mediums were brought before me to read this inscription and to make its interpretation known to me, but they could not give its interpretation. However, I have heard about you, that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Therefore, if you can read this inscription and give me its interpretation, you'll be clothed in purple. Have a chain, gold chain around your neck and have the third highest position in the kingdom. I like Daniel's reply here, verse 17. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. 
Your majesty, the most high God gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, and majesty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. Because of the greatness he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages were terrified and fearful of him. He killed anyone he wanted and kept alive anyone he wanted. He exalted anyone he wanted and humbled anyone he wanted. But when his heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven away from people. His mind was like an animal's. He lived with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until he acknowledged that the most high God is ruler over human kingdoms and sets anyone he wants over them. But you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Even though you knew all this, instead you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heavens. The vessels from his house were brought to you, and as you and your nobles' wives and concubines drank wine from them, you praised the gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, he sent the hand. And this writing was inscribed. This is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the message. Many. It means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and found deficient. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave an order. They clothed Daniel in purple, placed a gold chain around his neck, and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story that is a warning. A reminder, God, that you are opposed to the proud. Romans says that you set your face against the proud. And you only give grace to those who come to you with nothing in their hands, humbled. We thank you for the faithfulness of Daniel as we've seen so far. And we're going to see again in the future here in the lion's den, a man who's at this point in his life over 80 years old, continuing to be faithful to you, Lord. And we just pray, God, that you would find us to be your humble servants today without pride, without arrogance, but thankful that you, Jesus, and you alone have paid our sin debt on the cross Lord, if there's anyone here today that comes to you with pride, I pray that you would break them down, that you would humble them, and they would come to you with hands open and hearts open and believe that free gospel you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I think I set the record for the longest verse, didn't I, in uh, Canaan history on a Sunday morning? You know, it's hard to get the whole picture unless you just read the story sometimes. Now, what's going on? What's this big celebration about? And there's a little bit of scholarly debate about what's going on with Belshazzar. But definitely, he's been filled with pride for some reason. And Daniel brings that up. So what's going on in history that would make him so full of pride? Well, here's what we know about Babylon the Great is that when you looked at the city, it truly was tremendous and great. 
Um, just a day before this happened, and we know the date that this happened. Uh, historians talk about it, Xenophon and Herodotus. You can read about what happened in Babylon when it fell. When we read about this, we know on October 12th, 539 BC, that's going to happen. But the day before, there was a battle that the Babylonians lost. So you might be like, well, what would they be celebrating? About 50 miles north of there, the Persians had actually destroyed a Babylonian unit. And they had lost terribly in a battle. In fact, outside the city gates, the Babylonians were pretty vulnerable. They weren't really fighting hard at this point in time. And they really didn't care because of Babylon itself being impenetrable. And so they were like, you know what? We lost that battle out here, but the party's happening tonight inside the city of Babylon. We don't care if we lost a battle out there. Let's puff our chests up and let's have fun because guess what? They can't get through our walls and conquer us. Now, if you notice, Daniel gets promised the third position in all of Babylon. At this time in Babylonian history, there were co-regents. It was Belshazzar and his dad, Nabonidus. Nabonidus didn't actually live in Babylon, and so Belshazzar was there by himself. And here's what happened in the ancient world. You can read this actually in Daniel 1. When you conquered another nation, you plundered that nation, and you took all the items out of their sacred places that their gods had, and you put it into the temple of your gods to show that your gods were more powerful than their gods. And their gods were submitting by having their items put inside the temple of your god, you were showing that you were stronger than those gods. And that's exactly what happened when Babylon conquered Jerusalem. They took all the articles, all the the gold and the silver utensils that were used for sacred duties by the priests. They brought them back to Babylon and they put them into the storehouses and the gods of their own liking and choosing Marduk and the other gods of Babylon into their temples. And so what's Belshazzar do to show that, well, Babylon is still powerful. Even though we may have lost against the Persians yesterday, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a party and remind ourselves of all the times we conquered other nations. Like, you know, Jerusalem. Remember when we plundered them? I know. In fact, guys, as we get drunk tonight, let's go get all those gold goblets that we saw that were really awesome. We haven't used them in like 70 years. Let's bring those in, pour wine in those, and remember our defeat of Yahweh, the one true God. So the party's going on, and he has his people go and get those fine gold goblets and the silver goblets and those things and they pour wine inside of them and they start to celebrate because guess what? He's puffing his chest up and saying, we were the ones who conquered Judea. And in pride, he says, we're not gonna lose to anybody else. In fact, we're behind these walls now. Let the party carry on because we're gonna have a blast and we're gonna show the world who the real gods are. And immediately there is a warning. That was the wickedness. But here's the warning. As the party's going on, you get to verse five and this hand shows up, right? This weird, you must've thought, you know, maybe we, we drank some messed up wine or something, but everybody in the room sees to see this hand and it scratches something on the plaster of the wall. A supernatural event takes place here. The fingers of a human hand right on the wall. Now picture that in your mind. 
That would scare anybody. If a big hand just kind of came out of the wall and started scribbling on the wall up here, does anybody think they'd have a freak out? I would. I definitely would have a freak out. I might actually run out the back door. It's a supernatural event. And the scriptures tell us that when the king sees this, right? So God shows up in the room. When the king sees this, his disposition changed. His face color changed. His thoughts began to scare him. His body quit working. And the scriptures say his knees knocked together. Now, this scripture passage literally says, and I like this in the Aramaic, the knots of his loins were loosed. You know what that means? He became a party pooper right on the spot. The knots of his loins were loosed. He became so terrified, he loses control of his body systems. I didn't make that up. None of Belshazzar's men, as they come in and they read the inscriptions, and these are, the Babylonians were known for having diviners and people who could read these things and, and, and these magicians who could do amazing things. None of them are able to read what this inscription means. Now, some people actually think they could read it because it was probably in Aramaic, but they didn't know what it meant. They didn't understand the interpretation. So the words were there, but they're like, we are puzzled as to what the interpretation Means, And you can imagine how hard that was. In fact, I, I read a story not long ago about a farmer who, uh, you know, he tried to divine and to figure out a message that was given to him. He's out in his field and he's out and, um, you know, he's tilling the field and he's taking care of it. And he looks up in the sky and he sees two clouds, one shaped as a P and the other one shaped as a C. He's like, whoa, that's so weird. So he went to his pastor He says to his pastor, listen, I'm out and I'm cultivating in my fields today and I see one P and I see one C in the clouds. What does it mean? And he goes, you know what I think that means? Preach Christ. I think it means preach Christ. So the farmer was super excited. He sold his farm. He gets into seminary and he starts studying in seminary. But before the end of the first semester, his grades come back and they're terrible. And he goes to the dean and he says, I... What's going on? He said, I saw in the clouds, I saw a P and a C. And the dean looked at him and said, I think that meant plant corn, right? You can imagine the difficulty here. The diviners have no idea what the interpretation is, but Daniel, like Joseph, has a long history of knowing what these interpretations are and what God is saying. And so the wisdom comes here from Daniel. And here's the wisdom beginning with verse 18. God is the one who gives blessing. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar, your predecessor, who you knew about, and most historians think that Belshazzar here, he worked in the government for the last 23 years or so. He came on board in the Babylonian government two years after Nebuchadnezzar. So he would have known all the story of what had happened in chapter four about his humbling. God blessed your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, and everything that he had came from God. Number two, he became prideful, and God cursed him to live like a beast of the field so that he would know that the Most High God is the ruler over human kingdoms and sets anyone he wants over them. 
So he looks at him and he says, you did this thing. You puffed out your chest against Yahweh, against the one true God, and you saw what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, but you did it anyway. Number three, you, King Belshazzar, are just like him. You know what happened to him. You should have known better, but instead, what did you do? You took the sacred objects that were stolen from the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, and you desecrated them in a drunken, debauched party. You took items that belonged to the most sacred duties of the Levitical priests, and what you did is you debauched them in front of the true God, Yahweh. So, number four, your sin has been exposed, your actions have been weighed, and you are found wanting. And this leads to part four, the wipeout. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now, you may read that verse, and you may read it kind of quickly and be like, eh, you know, big deal. One kingdom comes, one kingdom goes, one kingdom rises, another kingdom falls. But when you think about Babylon, Babylon is just different. It's different when you think about it in the ancient world and you know some things that historians had written about it. Again, I mentioned Herodotus and Xenophon. The walls of Babylon were incredible. I think I, do we have a reproduction of that from the British Museum? There's another museum in Pergamum. This is actually a restructured Ishtar gate. And they had gates on both sides of the city as you came into the city, a half a mile long with these beautiful gates. This is the exact, you know, this is an exact replica of the size that's in a museum in Berlin right now, where you can see that it was an incredible kingdom to walk into. This is the Ishtar gate, probably Daniel and the captives from Babylon, uh, captives to Babylon had to walk through that gate. And as they do, they walk under the gods and the goddesses and the things that were worshiped in Babylon, just so they know whose power they're under when they come into the city. And Babylon itself, it, it continued on. Uh, the gates and, and the structures were just absolutely incredible. The city itself was was um, it was set on the Euphrates River. Do we have another picture maybe of that? And you can see that the Euphrates River ran right through the middle of the city. And the city itself had, had um, you know, the walls were over 40 feet high, about 45 feet high, and they were 80 feet thick all the way around the perimeter. And running through the middle of the city, again, was the Euphrates River. Now, that made it almost unconquerable, and here's why. Even if people are sieging your city and they're outside and they're camped out and they're trying to get through, you've got fresh water constantly flowing into your city. And it's a river, it's huge river. And they use that river to irrigate and, and to plant all their crops. And it's said at this time in history that the Babylonians actually had 20 years supply of food set aside inside Babylon. It wasn't gonna be conquered by anyone. In fact, the city walls were so thick, they said that four horsemen on chariots, uh, you know, side by side would actually race around the perimeter of the walls, 17 miles around, as the people would cheer for the winter. Like, it was, it was never to be destroyed. And on the same night that this hand appears on the wall, Babylon, in one verse, fell to the Medes 
and the Persians. How did it happen? Well, that very thing that brought them lifeblood was that Euphrates River. And so here's what happened. The Persians, they diverted that river upstream, the engineers, and they moved that river where it would suddenly move over into a big lake, an old marsh. And when the Persians went under the gates during the big party and the celebration about how they were supposed to never be conquered and they were being prideful, the Persians walked in water this deep through the Euphrates River, climbed up the walls, and in one night, they overtook the city. And Babylon the Great was destroyed. And the king was killed. It should have never happened. It was an impossible possibility. Every kingdom comes to an end. And there's a lesson in here for each one of us. Every culture has a sunset. And here it is for us. Are you ready? Your life, your little kingdom, my life, my kingdom will all come to an end. Ultimately, all of us have been weighed and found wanting. An end is coming. Martin Winslow's little kingdom is gonna end, but only Jesus Christ's kingdom will last into eternity. So everyone in the room has this choice today. You've got this, these two kingdoms set before, well, am I gonna continue to do it my way? Or am I gonna join the kingdom that lasts forever through Christ? And there's only one hope for you. Kim Monroe says of this passage, all human beings have the same thing written on our walls. We're numbered, we're weighed, and we're wanting. Only Jesus was found perfect. Only Jesus was weighed and found to be complete. And for you, he was judged in your place. For you, Jesus was found wanting. Jesus took the place of sinners on the cross and he gave us his righteousness, a foreign righteousness that's not our own, but one to borrow before God the Father. We'll either pay for our sins or we can have Jesus pay for our sins by trusting in him and what he accomplished for us. In one scenario, you're found wanting. You're going to enter into eternity in a place apart from the presence of God where there'll be suffering and you'll be judged for your sin. And the other option that you give to the kingdom of God, you know your kingdom on earth is ending, but I've trusted in Christ. There will be eternal bliss with Christ in a kingdom that never goes away. Paul said on the Areopagus, in times past, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and he has given us assurance of this by raising him from the dead. Now here's the deal. People in this room and some of you may be just a little older and maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus and you could say the same thing to you that was said to Belshazzar. You've known of the people who have died before you. You've known of their pride and God has made very clear to you what he's done for you in Christ. You knew You're not going to have any excuse when you come before a holy God. Today, you know that you'll be judged or you'll let Jesus be judged in your place. And you have got to have faith in him or you will spend eternity 
without him. You knew he gave you assurance of this by raising Christ from the dead. King Belshazzar is a perfect example of what Brian Chappell said. There is no human wall so high, no human accomplishment so great that it is secure against the judgment of God. Every scale fails. Only Christ can give you life. You know, just real quick, I, um, it's my story, so you know, all I can tell you is what I subjectively had happened to me when I was 17 years old, but I was up here in St. Louis. I was at a Dawson McAllister conference. It was the last night of the conference. I don't know what Dawson McAllister was saying. I just knew two things. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a savior and I need Christ. And that night, what I did is the lights went out and it was like the last verse the last song and I walked forward all the pride that I had because all my friends were there and I thought I was cool three sport athlete I had it all I was cool I chucked it out the window because God was telling me give your life to this is your chance this is your opportunity and I walked forward that night when I was 17 years old and I gave my life to Christ and join the kingdom that never fails. And you can do the same this morning. Some of you are a little older and you, you may get grumpy because your body hurts. Anybody in here like that? Yeah. Listen, everybody was giving me trouble because I had a picture with my sons the other day and I was down here like this in the picture and they're like, who helped you back up? Well, look at this. I can do it still. <laughs> it does hurt a little bit, but... I say that to say this, every little creak, every little pain is God giving you another reminder that your kingdom will one day end. That is a grace from God for you to remind you that you will appear before the God of the universe. Your kingdom will end and that is his grace to you. So when you get out of bed and it hurts, and you're in Christ, you just say, thank you, Jesus, I'll be there soon, right? But for some of you, you're ignoring that. You're ignoring that. And today, you have an opportunity to publicly be a part of the kingdom that never goes away. We're gonna enter into a time of prayer as a church family, a time for reflection. We do this each Sunday, and it's an opportunity it's an opportunity for you to come and I'm gonna ask Pastor Darren to come and our musicians and, and, and I'm gonna lead us in a short prayer and then we're gonna enter into a time of response. So if you'd join me in prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you for these reminders from your word. I wanna thank you for the little aches and the pains. They remind me that... Um, my kingdom's gonna end someday. And I also thank you, Lord, that um, you've allowed me because of Christ's sacrifice to be a part of a kingdom that never fades, that I have an inheritance in heaven that has been set aside for me that will never fade away. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has not given their life to you, 
Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to move them, touch them, give them spiritual eyes to see. Lord, I remember when I was 17, I didn't want to go forward. I wanted to keep doing things my way. I didn't want to submit, but I, I also know, Lord, there's, there's no one in this room that has too hard of a heart that you can't break through. I, I know there was a thief on a cross next to you one time and in his last moments was able to come to you and believe in faith. And Jesus, you in your mercy looked at him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You were kind and merciful. But we also know, Lord, there's a day of judgment coming. So we pray we'd be found in Christ. Move in this place this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name.